current events, religion, politics, philosophy, and science. You will be challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to be. How do you like it? How, how do you like the? I brought the the theme, the theme song back for you, Will, because uh, I, I I assumed that was just for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was because you you didn't like change, so I brought it back just for you. Yeah, I was uh, I was silently beatboxing back here. I've told you guys before that uh, when I listen to podcasts, I lift listen at one and a half speed, so uh-huh. I'm used to it going dun 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 dun. Dunna, dunna, you know, a little bit quicker, but <laughs> but I still like it. I like it at regular speed as well. Yeah. Uh, we have to go in slow motion when we actually talk on the show, and then you can speed it up later. Indeed. I was about but, to say, you guys are all talking really slow. Yeah. And so we, am I. We're going to talk really slow so that when you play it back on one and a half speed, it'll actually be normal. That's right. This seems like a perfectly <laughs> to, reasonable opportunity to, to practice. To quote, to quote Treebeard, there is nothing worth saying that does not take a long time to say. Anyway, I like Lord of the Rings. Let's move on. Huge fan. So we dropped off the end of an episode with you and JJ making a claim that was Kind of surprising, I think, to probably more than just you, but he actually came out not just like pro-choice, but actually pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ, do you want to kind of get back into that whole thing? Um. So, yeah, I've got some pretty bold positions when it comes to abortion. Yeah, sounds like you're probably out in front of me, too. Probably. Um, I think abortion should be normalized. And as natural, it should be as natural to abort a pregnancy as to carry it to term. Like, there shouldn't be any emotional baggage associated with either choice. Um, I've come to this conclusion slowly, but a couple of the underlying fundamentals came from, like, just my idea of, like, trying to deal with, grapple with what makes self and what makes something a moral agent. And something worth moral attention. So, uh, like, I don't think that human DNA has anything to do with morality. Um, I I agree with that. Like nothing whatsoever. Like it just so far. Yeah, it just happens to be human. I think the thing that gives anything, you know, a moral imperative of any sort like that makes it you know an agent worthy of attention is the experience that it has like you know you can smash rocks all day and it's not immoral because those rocks aren't having a bad experience a uh, guy i follow with the youtube handle ozymandias ramses ii who is a brilliant philosopher 
He just doesn't use his real name because he doesn't want his YouTube stuff to conflict with what he does, you know, in real person. Uh-huh. But he talked, he talks at length about where we get the idea of morality. And uh, I'm very sympathetic to the idea that morality is an expression, and this is like, yeah, morality is an expression of preference. And, you know, we prefer not to suffer and we prefer to have, you know, well-being and to live flourishing lives and have a sense of fulfillment. When I'm talking about all of these things, I'm talking about having experiences. Like, you know, you experience a negative thing so you don't want it. And you experience a positive thing and you want that and you want that for more people. And I think that morality is the process of determining how to minimize that suffering and maximize, you know, that well-being. Like every time people talk about morality outside of that, it either boils down to being totally unrelatable to that phenomenology of experience, or it boils down to talking about being better or worse in a sense of suffering or well-being. And that led me to the conclusion that there is a point where human cells have a tangible story of suffering and well-being, a sense of connection. And it is that point that they gain moral agency or uh, they become moral objects. Like we would agree that if we had a bunch of sperm in one container on a, on a shelf and an egg in a container on another shelf, I at least would be very unsympathetic with the claim that that possesses moral agency. And for me, until that moral agency occurs, the idea of aborting a pregnancy is much less a moral question to me. There are, it doesn't mean that there aren't any moral considerations that can't be made, but the most important consideration on how something is treated is related to that experiential process. And I think that that bar is very high. Um, I, I think I kind of take issue with the word point just because I don't know that there is any one single point. I think it's more of like a gradual process. I, I do too. The reason I draw the line, I draw the line because we, we would agree that once you've crossed that gradual process, like you've developed a certain sense right. of identity it it is clearly immoral to end your life right and there might it's... be a gray space where it is might be moral and it might not but i think that the scientific evidence that i'm familiar with you know always draws that line at some point after birth like there may be gray area but all of that gray area is on the outside of the uterus. 
Yeah, I think that's probably always been the like the toughest part for me is like looking at it, you know, from a distance um, on a big scale, you know, obviously when there's like just sperm cells that have fertilized an egg, there's no consciousness there. There's no experience happening yet. So that's very clearly, you know, on one side. And then you look at a five-year-old and that's, you know, um, there is definitely a, a conscious experience happening there. It's the middle part that I think is is more challenging. And it's probably just because I don't have a lot of familiarity with brain development and, you know, how, how experience really happens. Um, that's kind of my, it's always been my biggest hang up is just determining where that line should be, but not whether or not there should be one. But that's probably fundamentally different than um, Will's position, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were we betting, man? Yes. <clears throat> um, I don't know if if this is fair of me or whether I'm just showing myself a little bit duller than I I like to think of myself. But I'm not I'm not entirely sure you've made your case yet, or at least not one that from what I'm, I I listened to to your your case and I still didn't come to a point where I would say. Okay, I can see where he's coming from. Abortion is a good thing. And maybe um, I just missed something, but I, I heard a lot of, uh, of stuff about experience and, and about how and, – and there are certain things I think we can agree with. Like I think England's on to something and a lot of European countries where – and I think this might shock some American uh, listeners who assume that everything's just more liberal in Europe. But in England, there's a, a hard uh, uh, deadline after which you can't get an abortion. I think it's like 24 weeks. Um, and, and I think the, the, the deadline is – I don't know if deadline is the right word, but cutoff date is um, a little bit different for each European country. But it's basically at the point of viability in most cases, whereas in the United States, we are far more liberal in that um, – well, first of all, it's kind of a state-by-state -state basis. Each state kind of has their own individual rules. And some states try to push beyond the Roe v. what's allowed in Roe v. Wade. Some states try to push for the absolute maximum uh, liberty when it comes to the right to get an abortion. And, and, and most states are somewhere in between. Um, so, But my point, what I'm bringing up here is, is I think England's onto something that there is a difference between aborting a fetus at one or two months and seven or eight months. I I don't know. I maybe I'm not making uh, too much of a of a cogent argument on my end either. I just, just no. I mean, I think that we we may not need to be in a hurry to lay out like the fullness of an argument. Mm -hmm. I I I think that it. Like, we didn't come to these conclusions based upon, you know, somebody's 30-second radio pitch. Mm -hmm. Like, these are, like, we hold these things important. Like, the reason I think, you asked me, like, well, so why have an abortion at all? In a sense, when you, you pose a question, like, I didn't hear what you said that made abortion good. Because, you know, I, did, I didn't talk about that. So that's oh, yeah. fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, like... I think 
that there is a benefit to having a degree of individual liberty and kind of a direction on your, you know, destiny. And a pregnancy is an imposition upon that. So, if, assuming, like, for the sake of argument, granting the idea that an abortion is not a moral wrong, like it's an amoral act, then it is good to be able to end it rather than to be trapped into the commitment of a term pre- full-term pregnancy. Is that kind of just like a more neutral position, though? Maybe not like a positive? It would be neutral if that positive didn't exist. Because if it's not the case that you have that option to, you know, that you have that liberty, then the negative cases do exist. Okay, so let me let me throw something out here. I'm just going to throw something against the wall and, and let you respond. Um, I think most of us in the pro-life camp can at least understand the pro-choice position, put simply as um, my body, my rules, you know, uh, individual liberty. Um, in that case, it's interesting that most of the pro-choice people I know are, are eager to say that they're pro-choice, not pro-abortion. Some pro-choice people I know even say that they personally find abortion uh, repugnant, or maybe not su- such a strong word. I think Biden would count himself in that category as pro-choice, but somebody who doesn't particularly like abortion. Sure. Um, so I think mm-hmm. most of us in the pro-life camp, if we're willing to admit it, can can at least understand the pro-choice position. If for no other reason, then then conservatives tend to be pretty pro-liberty in most other cases anyway. You know, uh, well, I know when you do that thing, you're you got a point, but uh, some of the issues we would probably disagree with the conservatives, <laughs> like like gun rights, et cetera. Um, uh, conservatives I I, these days I'm, are, I'm are pretty pro gun. Interesting. We should yeah. well. I own a gun. Mar- mark I mean, that. Yeah, mark that down. We'll put that on another <laughs> podcast someday. Maybe that makes me more of a lefty than a uh, than a lib. But I don't know. Yeah, well, I think one of the things, let's take just a slight bunny trail here. I think one of the things that the more you have these conversations, which is pretty much the purpose of this podcast, is to to have these conversations and explore people's positions. Yeah. Very few people are lockstep in, in, in a particular political framework. We all have areas where we don't quite agree with our camp on, on this issue or that issue. Um, I know, uh, I, I don't know personally, but I know of a lot of liberals that grow up in places like Montana or Wyoming that are generally pretty conservative places, but for whatever reason, they develop kind of a kind of a Western liberalism and they love to go out and hunt themselves a moose or something. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't necessarily fit in with a San Francisco love in, but they're liberal. They're legitimately liberal. Bunny trail over. So, one of the things that I wanted to to make sure that I'm drilling down on is that I'm t- approaching this issue from a question of phenomenology. Like, it is the idea of things that have experience determining when they become, you know, have some moral interest. 
Yeah, but wh- how much experience does the newborn who's who hasn't even got slapped on the butt to cry yet, how much experience does that newborn have? And does that mean that that newborn has less of a right um, to life than, say, a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a 20-year-old, et cetera? Oh, I think it does. You think the the newborn has less of a right? Yeah. Interesting. So that that raises the the uh, kind of flippant, and I'll admit it was flippant, um, uh, comment I, I had a couple of podcasts ago where I said, well, what about the little girls that, that got aborted in the 80s in China by parents who, uh, those parents had the one child rule and they wanted a son, so they would take their daughter and, and leave the daughter out on a hill or something. That was a phenomenon pretty well known in the, in the 80s in China. And they would, culturally, they would consider that abortion. And you immediately said, oh, I wouldn't consider that abortion. Uh, you, both of you guys were, were saying that, that you wouldn't consider that abortion. Sure. And that's it's a great question is when, like, you know, the, it, does, it, it poses the question, when does that uh, moral interest arise? And I know, like, I think that no matter what we do, we have to draw the line somewhere. Like Catholics draw it at birth control. Mm -hmm. And I draw it, you know, just on the other side of the the vulva. And uh, I, as I said, I think that morally, like, it's important to me to ask the questions like, when is there harm and what is harm? Like, how do we know when something is harmful? And so let me ask you a question. If, if we could do scientific studies, say some um, – and, and honestly, these studies might have been done. I'm not sure. They, they seem kind of ethically questionable, so I'm not sure how the study would be done. But let's say uh, a handful of, of expectant mothers who choose – say, I, 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 I don't want to go through with this. So at various stage of pregnancies, um, and then they, they – submit to a scientific study where they actually hook up some some um, sensors or whatnot and try to to determine whether the child whether the fetus being aborted feels the pain of a certain procedure whether it's the vacuum based procedure or the silver nitrate I'm not I'm not sure um, the the procedure that uses the uh, chemical salt if it can be determined that the fetus is is clearly experiencing pain would you then draw your line? further back than the than the the moment of birth i don't know because i don't think that pain is necessarily the sole criteria but like things can react to a stimuli without necessarily having a high degree of experience right like i mean your immune system responds to things and you're not even aware of that um so i don't I guess for me it would it would probably hinge more on, you know, the kind of experience that the fetus would be having more so than it simply responding to something stimulating it. I just don't know where that I'm I'm not familiar enough with brain development to kind of know where where that how that process, you know, lays out on a timeline. Right. And we're also imposing our phenomenology of pain based upon our experiences that we have memories of with a brain that is developed at a certain level. 
Okay, but let, let me throw out a hypothetical. So you have a, a, a baby, and let's not, let's not keep doing newborn. Let's say 10 months. So you got a baby, and you drop the baby. It happens. I mean, you know, it doesn't make you a monster, but you drop the baby, and the baby cries a lot. And I think that at that point, we can assume that that baby is feeling pain similar I mean, it's a little bit like the the uh, what's it like to be a bat question. I mean, there, there's right. no we can never really know exactly what another person is feeling in pain, but we can draw a reasonable deduction that that baby is feeling pain similar to what we would feel if we were dropped from a similar height based on our body size, et cetera, et cetera. Um, based on based on that, I think that it is fair for us to assume that. Uh, once the human fetus develops to a point where it has a central nervous system, that when they feel pain, they might not have that kind of second or third order awareness of, of I am in pain right now. But uh, I think we can assume that they're, they're feeling the pain, you know, maybe not as developed as that 10-month-old, but that 10-month-old isn't developing, you know, that uh, second or third order awareness of pain either so like it's just first order awareness see but i i would i would challenge that i think i think the well and, and part of it is is um i haven't done enough reading in in uh uh the I, i'll be honest here i'll, I'll lay all, all my cards out on the table i'm even i'm the only i'm only familiar with this concept of first order second order third order awareness of pain based on listening to lectures by uh our friend william lane craig so I, I don't claim to be an expert on what exactly is first or second or third level uh, pain, but I believe even a fetus has a um, an awareness of its surroundings and has the uh, a, a limited amount of brain power to comprehend what's going on more so than say a sponge. So like if you poke a sponge with a, with a needle in a certain place, it'll recoil or. Or, you know, it, it'll react to that. And that's really just first order. I think humans pass f that level of first order awareness very early in the pregnancy stage. But I'm I also not a scientist, so. so. I'm not under that impression. And I don't even know if that would, like, if that me is sufficient. Like, I think that the thing that gives us moral interest like agency is that we can connect a story of experiences together yeah but how how complicated does that experience have to be when my niece and my nephew were in utero uh i don't have any kids of my own and um so i've and and my one niece was born eight years before i knew she existed uh so my my two uh, my my uh, blood related niece and nephew, so I knew their mom as they in pregnancy, and I know for a fact that even though my brother and I sound a lot alike, that my niece and nephew, while they were still in utero, would respond more enthusiastically to his voice than to mine, because he was more familiar. He was around more often and they would respond to their mother's voice even more enthusiastically because she was even, she was always there. And so they, you know, I, I'm not sure if they responded positively or negatively or neutrally to my voice, but they certainly responded positively to my brother's voice. It was their father. It does that count as an experience that counts towards 
a, at least a cumulative case for personal worth? I mean, my first inclination is no. But how complicated does the experience have to be? It I mean, has to be. It, do, do, well, watching we watching ha- uh, Paw Patrol, we, does that count? Right. And if not Paw Patrol, does it have to be you know Game of Thrones? Or We agree that there is some place where we have to draw that line. I, I think it. I I just think it's it's a lot simpler to draw the line once a unique individual exists. I I think that's that's easier. And it's I think where I'm willing to admit the weakness in my position is that emotionally I am less disturbed by the idea of a of a fetus being aborted in the third or fourth month of of existence than in the eighth month or ninth month of existence. I'll admit that I have a, an emotional reaction to it the closer that fetus becomes to being a viable human baby. I admit to a, a visceral uh, dis inclination towards towards a, a, a approving I'm, of course I don't, I don't get I don't have any authority to approve or disapprove but I, I, I'm not I'm disinclined to to approve um, uh, abortion the further we go along but just because there's a line somewhere doesn't mean that wherever that line is experiences right on each side of that line are going to feel completely arbitrary so like if if you draw the line at birth for instance there's really no significant difference developmentally speaking between a human being who was born 5 minutes ago and the same human being who's going to be born in 5 minutes yeah i don't think either of them qualify right. i just think birth is a fine place to draw the line and i think once once a unique individual exists is uh, is is the best place to draw the line now what makes so- it an individual. Um, once the once the potential is there for that, indiv- once the potential is there for for that biological organism to develop naturally into uh, into an individual human being. I think uh, words why like is that poten- potential is kind of a problematic word. Well, the the, re- the reason I got to go with potential is because I'm I'm. If um, you have like like the zygote stage, I mean, how much development has happened? Really, I mean, nothing. Shoot, but sometimes that, sometimes those but cells. The twin. DNA of that zygote <laughs> is unique from the DNA of the mother. So where that zygote is located. I mean, DNA unique, uniqueness is arbitrary. That assumes that the mother has a consistent DNA. Most of her cells have different DNA from each other. Yeah, but if if you take a liver cell that has a um, slightly sure, different sure. DNA and just Why let it matter? exist, it's not going to become a new liver. That's the, yeah, but that's not what makes anybody an individual anyway. Your DNA isn't what makes you you. I would certainly agree with that, but the further back you the further back you go in in uh, an a organism's existence eventually that's the beginning stages the unique dna profile is the is the first step in that individual's development and i'll uh, admit that most of yeah. what makes me me are emergent still, pro- 
That but here's just, the thing. That's, here's an, the that's thing. a place to put an arbitrary pin, though. But the right. things that make me me include things that have happened in the last day or the last year. That um, so does that mean that that Will writes five years ago is a completely different individual than Will writes sitting here today? I'm not oh. willing to admit that. I'm not willing to accept that. And if, if we are willing to accept that, then the will who started this sentence is a completely different different will from the per- the will who's ending this sentence. That doesn't actually scare me that much. I'm not I'm not unsympathetic to that. Like there is the story of a person, and then there is the phenomena the the experiences that that person is having at any given point in that story, and it is the the unification of those two aspects to me that makes someone a person. Like, say that, say you were you, and you were going through and you did all the things that Will ever did right up to this sentence. But at no point in that did you ever have experiences. Like, you know, you weren't having thoughts in your head. It was like a robot version of you. Okay. Like a pre-programmed history. (laughs) You know, you're right. It would not feel to me like there was a person involved in there. You know, it's Wait. like the Chinese room problem. Are we going to get into the Star Trek transporter problem? Man, like, <laughs> and I think that that's, that's part of the, like. Or have you guys, have you guys read, um, did you guys ever read Ready Player One? Mm. Much better no, than the movie. No, and I really want to. Much better than the movie. If you get a chance to uh, also read Ready Player Two, it is an inferior book, but it, it raises this question and I'll try to avoid spoilers, but the part of the part of the the um part of the story of ready player 2 is that eventually you find out that the the second uh, ready player 2 is not being told by wade watts the main character it's being told by a computer generated uh, avatar for for lack of a better term of wade watts and then and then once you read the book you'll be like oh okay i get it i understand that but it that th- that last chapter of the book pretty much raises the question of what what ultimately is the difference between the way that exists outside of the computer and the way that exists within uh, it's a fa- fascinating question, and thankfully we're not quite there on technology where we have to worry about that yet. Right, it's but, coming. <laughs> but I but, think I, I think I think a personal. I think oh goodness, I'm you, your philosophical training is shining through, and my lack of philosophical training is shining through. The um, the individual. I need a better term. Uh, an individual's personality. What makes you you? It's um the experiences that have happened from the from the beginning of my existence are Even all cu- cumulative uh cumulatively build up to make uh to make me who i am i mean that includes stuff before you existed you know like, like all of like experiences all, all that my of parents the converging had. paths of matter and energy throughout history that led up, you know, from whatever initial state they were in, we can set aside, you know, the the different ideas of, you know, the beginning. But all of those paths, regardless of how it started, are part of what shapes you to be you. You Yeah, a little bit of like the butterfly flaps its wings in Beijing and a rainstorm happens in New York. But like your, your idea, like the things that make you you, 
exist long before you were conceived. Well, I mean, if if uh, I'm willing to admit that to a, I mean, to 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 a certain extent, but if a certain carbon atom had gone one degree to the left in Alpha Centauri for you know uh, ten billion years ago, would I be a completely different person? I don't think so. The, the, the difference in changes of that one carbon atom going uh, one degree off course would have been absolutely negligible. In, let's in, not even put a pin in that and just <laughs> like as, as much as I hate to be like, let's agree to disagree. Yeah. Because um, that one's like, dude, the rabbit holes of chaos theory. Well, I'm afraid that, that most, but, most uh, of what I know from chaos theory I got from the fictional Ian Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's um but but I, I I get what you're saying like there and and in a certain way like the farther back we go the more noise we introduce into the claims that we can make about the things that impact you like yeah. if we and talk but, but about I'm, the and, stuff and, that and, happened you know neonatally the, that's uh, far more impactful than the way that we can measure you know one set of carbon atoms versus another like whether or not it rained 350 million years ago on some per- particular object or whatever. And, and, and I'm, I'm, let me throw a monkey wrench into my own position here. It's not, it's not a, it's not quite as a, a linear progression either. Cause otherwise things that happened to me five minutes ago should have more impact on who I am than things that happened to me when I was in uh, elementary school. I don't think that's true at all. I think foundations of, of my personality were probably Moment by mo- moment by moment, probably were more foundational to in my personality in the '80s than they have been in the last decade. Sure, I, and I don't think that undermines your tech. No. Um, but the thing that that, that we're kind of honing in on is you're both drawing arbitrary lines. It's just a right. matter of where we're deciding to draw it. I I will admit one thing: the the least arbitrary lines that one can draw are conception and birth. Right. England, God bless them. You know, um, England, I, I, I prefer, like, remember I said there, I have a visceral reaction to, uh, uh, late term abortion over early term abortion. I, I'm glad that England puts a cap on it and I think it's 24 weeks, but somebody will have to fact check me on that one. Uh, I'm glad they do that. However, I believe that they're on flimsier philosophical footing th- than a policy that would allow abortion up to the moment of birth or not allow abortion at all. Is that based on viability? That's what that's what England's at least that's what I've drawn from what li- I haven't done a lot of research in it. Once again, to bring up one of my other favorite podcasts, Unbelievable, they, those guys are in England, and when they talk about abortion. They almost always talk about viability as kind of the number one issue. See, we haven't we've barely talked about viability here today. But if we were all Brits, right. well, we would have, we would be drinking tea and we would be talking about viability. Well, oh, I mean, we're having <laughs> we're having the the personhood argument. We're not having like the mm-hmm. bodily autonomy argument, um, which to me that kind of falls more under the bodily autonomy because once the fetus no longer requires you know the the womb then that's the point that you know um you can't do it and that's more of a bodily autonomy thing than it is personhood jesus this wikipedia page is terrible (laughs) (laughs) well you should edit it which wikipedia page 
the abortion in the United Kingdom. Ah. Uh, did they forget like... to put all the T's in there? <laughs> Do they use it the word lieutenant? Like... British. British. Uh, no. It is. It's. It's almost reading like technically, abortion's always illegal. But I know that's not true. But well, no. This is one of them big loophole kind of things. If the pregnancy has not exceeded its twenty fourth week, and the continuance of the pregnancy would involve risk greater than if the pregnancy were terminated of injury mm. to the physical or mental health of the pregnant woman or any existing children of her family, or the termination is necessary to prevent grave permanent injury to the physical or mental health of the pregnant woman, or that the continuance of the pregnancy would involve risk to the life of the pregnant woman greater than if the pregnancy were terminated, or if there's substantial risk that if the child were born, it would suffer from such physical or mental abnormalities as to be seriously handicapped. So that kind of we've gives already us got gig- the necessary and proper clause though, right there when it said or the mental health. Right. That's 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 pretty much where even not all conservatives by no stretch of the imagination, but even conservatives in England have wrapped their minds around the idea that uh, mental health before the twenty fourth week of of um, of uh, pregnancy means that if if the mother just says uh, for my mental health I need to get rid of this pregnancy, all right. And the doctor will do it. Right. That's and that's what I like. As I said, it it's 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 illegal, but not, you know, mm-hmm. because it it's such an umbrella, like you know, getting medical marijuana. It's like, doctor, my back hurts. All right. <laughs> um, and w- one of our comments on face, I posted up on Facebook that I was doing this talk with you all, and somebody was like, I and you saw it. it yeah, I pained to point out that. Uh, there's no one on this conversation that can get pregnant. What I wanted to focus on was specifically like the meta ethics of personhood. Cause I think that there are a litany of other arguments that I don't even feel like approaching because there are people that are better qualified to approach them. I didn't see that post. I kind of my, it was my personal. Yeah. I just didn't see it. Um, kind of my, my feeling is that I, I, I kind of view it more like a, and this goes more, you know, to the bodily autonomy argument uh, than it does towards the personhood one. But for myself, I feel like as a man, um, that kind of puts me in a position of having some privilege and maybe, you know, um, potentially more influence. And I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to advocate for the uh, the rights of women's bodily autonomy. Um, so I, I, I will always make that argument for that. Um, just, just to try to advocate for their rights. Um, and I, I don't necessarily disagree that, you know, people who won't suffer the consequences um, shouldn't be arguing, you know, about people whose rights will be infringed upon, um, you know, what, what should happen to them. Um, I kind of feel like everybody should be advocating for people's rights, though, so I, I'm happy to and take that That means that everybody's got skin in the cave, in right. the game, because if you're like Will and you believe that, you know, there's a moral imperative to preserving, you know, once a, a fetus has reached this, you know, for the sake of the statement, viability, this mm-hmm. this criterion, then they're a, a person, and they need defended, too. Right. But even I'll admit there's there's a, a grab bag of gray areas here, because I, I think that at least legally speaking, there there should always be a 
Okay, let me start this again. Because <laughs> I, I can already see the the mud puddle I'm about to step in. Um, okay, let's assume that we all live in Mississippi. Mississippi is one of the states I know has one of them snapback provisions where if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, abortion becomes illegal in Mississippi. Right. Until Roe v. Wade gets overturned, then that law exists only in the in the ether. It's 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 not there. Um, so let's assume Roe v. Wade gets overturned. We live in Mississippi. Even at that point, I would even as a, a conservative, I would argue that there needs to be a legal difference between victims of rape and incest versus the general population. That's a, a gray area. Why? There, and there always needs to be a... Because a, um, um, if you're raped, you don't get sit. Yeah, there's a certain... And, uh, uh, and, well, but, and of course, we're, we're, we're stepping in, we're, we're all stepping just, in what we've already discussed about sexual ethics and... and right. Uh, well, but you just stepped outside of advocating for the right of the fetus to exist. Right, well, that it, is true. You just went back towards the bodily autonomy of the woman. You know, I don't oh, mind yeah, touching that is, on it, but that I definitely is true. want to treat this as secondary to the tag that we're kind of drilling down on. Yeah, like, I think the harder harder argument is the personhood one, uh, personally. But I think the personhood one is the one that really can set some stones, although it is harder. Yeah, it's harder, well, it, but it's the one that, intuitive. The I issue, think that's the one everybody's secretly thinking when you're having the argument. That's the one everyone thinks about, but everyone makes the argument for bodily autonomy because that one is just a little more straightforward. And and bodily autonomy, I think, has has a much um, I, a firmer footing, at least. Uh, somebody yeah. as as bright as JJ might be able to make a better argument for, but but it's a it's a harder argument, um, if for no other reason than because personhood arguments carry the gray areas not only i'll admit to a lot of gray areas that happen in utero but for me once you pass birth gray areas disappear uh, ending the life of a, of a newborn is repugnant abhorrent illegal and should always be illegal I but if we're if personal... we're making the argument if we're making the argument for personhood then the gray areas leak into early stages of human development because is a newborn a person in the first week? I mean, what that, that newborn has no concept of I or me. Um, the, the, when they dream, they dream probably about being born or, or wishing they were back in the womb. There's not a lot to that person yet. So, so the, at least what I'm trying to say is, is gray areas then, extend into the post-birth existence yeah. of, of the individual. Well, and if right. we're going to do that, I mean, w then, then we, we might as well admit other gray areas like development. Um, uh, yeah, babies have more go both ways. Baby yeah. babies have more bones. Babies have, uh, like moving uh, forward with the gray areas doesn't get you out of the fact that you have to move backwards with the gray areas too. Right. Right. Oh, I'm Which, admitting gray areas in utero, if for no other reason than because abortion is legal in this country. And, and one of the things the, I try like to tell said, my Christian friends is that as long as abortion is legal in this country, we should not be um, villainizing. V villainizing is that a word? We shouldn't be vilifying <laughs> um, and 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 making uh, uh, scarlet letter. You know. Uh, making scarlet letters for, for women who, who choose a legal option. We can still fight against abortion without attacking the person. 
Anyway, I'm sorry, JJ, I interrupted you and then steamrolled oh, you. Go ahead. It's okay. Like, the, that's the reason I hedge at birth. Like, I do think that it actually is morally ambiguous after birth. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that in the interest of never making a wrong decision, like, you know, an oopsie, <laughs> like we do with, you know, the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that's where I would draw a line because I don't think that any fetus up to being born meets the qualification for personhood. But at some point after that, it does happen. And in the interest of safety, I draw my line at birth. Although I have an interesting anecdote that I've never been able to verify by searching, like, what illness this uh, person I know had. Like, these two people had a child. And the child, within two days, developed this, like, skin, like, an autoimmune issue where the child's body just attacked, like, the skin cells. And the child suffered for, like, two or three days and then died. Yeah, I'm not like familiar the, with that disease, but I have heard of stuff like that. Like it was, it happened to family members of mine. And in a case like that, a post-birth euthanasia has some interesting moral arguments if you're arguing about, you know, suffering. Yeah. But uh, that, again, that's also a, sec- a, a, a sideline to this whole discussion of personal. Well, that's like highly circumstantial. And that takes into account the potential for suffering. Um, so you're kind of granting. Assumption well, of personhood think, at that point. I aren't think you? that suffering happens. I don't think that suffering, like, is in itself a on-off switch for the right. measure of whether or not we should do something. Because if suffering is like, we know lots of things that suffer, and it's we true. tolerate them in this society. That's like my back hurts right now. Right. And <laughs> I'm not. I'm 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 sitting in an uncomfortable chair. I've been thinking for a while now. I should have picked a different chair. Like we but know that every it hasn't even in- affected my. I, I haven't even signed off the podcast to go get a different chair. I just handle it. I just deal with it. <laughs> every animal that goes through the factory farming process suffers, and, and insects even. I mean, you know, they struggle to survive uh, with a clear intention of survival, but they just don't have the same capacity to comprehend that suffering that like, you know, say a person or even like a dog would. Yeah. The first order, second order, third order awareness. And I think that that is a very important thing when considering whether or not something is moral. Yeah. Cause we're talking about degrees. We're talking about not just whether there's suffering, we're talking about degrees of it and degrees of awareness of that. Is there suffering? Is there trauma? Is there, you know, knock-on effects that carry on down the way? All of these things are important to the question of whether or not this is a moral thing. We keep talking about morality, and we've kind of made some, like, assumptions about what is morality. And I think, like, it's important that because I think different people define morality in different ways. Right. Even though I, I mean, think that there's only one actual way to define morality. Silence. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I, what, what is your one way of defining morality? 
morality is when we talk about morality is a system that takes into consideration consideration the relationship between suffering and well-being of sentient objects. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you define suffering. If I uh, commit fraud against you, if you, if if I was the uh, uh, the Enron guy, um, sure, and, yeah. and I stole a half a billion dollars from you, did you really suffer? I mean, philosophically, sure, but I mean, you didn't lose a limb. I didn't twist your back. Right, but fraud still happened, and fraud is clearly immoral. Um, I would agree, but I think that that is part of suffering. Like, yeah. I think suffering is more than physical suffering is a subset of suffering. True, because like, you, you can have emotional suffering. We, we, instead of saying suffering, we could talk about well-being and think of it in terms of positive and negative. And I mean, like, I'm pretty sure, like, people would put different weight to, like, a billionaire you know, losing a hundred bucks versus a homeless person losing a hundred bucks. I mean, it's the same amount of money, but there, it clearly impacts one person more than the other. So we consider one worse than the other. If you stole a hundred bucks from a billionaire, no one's really going to honestly care that much. If you steal it from, you know, the homeless guy who has nothing, um, that's really going to make a lot of people mad because the guy has not, that's everything he has. It's, I think here's, it's just highly, highly contextual. Say you've got a guy with a building out in, the, out in the boonies, and he's got a bunch of, you know, graphic GPUs, and he's mining Bitcoin. And he up and dies. Good. More GPUs for me. I can't get one. I know. They're crazy right now. <laughs> and if and somebody comes along and steals, you know, takes all of the Bitcoin off that GPU, let's stipulate that he has no inheritance, right? Like, no hairs. We wouldn't consider the taking of that. Did you, wait, did you just say hairs? Heirs, yeah. Heirs. <laughs> Heirs. Hair. Oh, there is an H there. I there mean, is an H there, but I've never heard anybody pronounce the H. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least he's but, pronouncing his teeth. Like, we wouldn't consider it a moral slight against the GPUs to take that those Bitcoins. Because there's, you know, no phenomenology related into the that possession like the hard drives that those bitcoins are on yeah, don't have a story of connection you're not stealing from a person either so person's already gone it, it is that sense of personhood like there is a like we I, at least to me it's because of things like that that it makes it very important that until like something is a self-recognizing object questions like suffering and possession become much less like they carry a lot less weight to me. Hmm. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Like, and then, of course, you know, there's the, 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 the idea of talking about potential people. Yeah. But, versus, I mean, it, and I think that that's a valid question to ask. Um, but then the implications of that can go further than further than but, conception, even and, right. And then we have to weigh the the idea of like, do actual people have more moral autonomy than potential people? 
Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would, I'm, I'm pro-lifer here. I, I could say, yeah, the, uh, the actual person certainly has more than the potential person. I would say that, um, whether you have the rights. Okay. So let me, let me create a hypothetical. Sure. So you have the right to burn waste on your land. So, I mean, depending if you, when I lived in East Lansing, Michigan, you did not have the right. You had some branches, you couldn't burn them. But here in Erie, Kansas, they don't care. As long as there's no fire warning or whatnot, that's how I get rid of branches and stuff. When, when, when they fall out of the tree, I cut them up, let them dry and burn them off. Um, That's fine. Nobody cares. But if I had uh, a 55 gallon drum of crude oil that I needed to get rid of, and I decided to set in on fire, um, my liberty to be able to do that should be at least hindered. I don't know if hinders the right word. It should, I should at least take into consideration the fact that all of my neighbors are going to have to smell burning crude oil for however long it it happens. Right. There's knock on effects for this action. Yeah. It's like, if you, if you, if you live up a river, can you dam a river and keep all the water for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so if, if I can, I can grant that the actual person has more rights than the potential person, but I can also at the same time say that the rights to the right to exist, the right to not be killed in utero still outweighs the rights of the person who is a person and a, 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 a fully functional adult. Yeah. I don't think that right exists at all. I do. <laughs> sure. But like, um, from my perspective, you know, here's, here's the thing for, for my end, I think, I, I think this conversation is, is, is interesting. And I think we're covering a lot of ground and I think everybody's defending their. I think you guys are actually defending your position better than I am, to be honest with you. Um, but we're all, we're all defending our position. Well, my position is easier in this case because my I, I just once once the the new individual in the lowest you know level zygote level whatever uh, once that individual exists then that individual has rights and then I could admit that there's a a visceral level in which I I I emotionally so, am, am more against abortion the further along you develop. And, and that's technically that is an easier argument, but again, um, kind of going back to talking morals and my moral system being based on consequences, um, and going back to admittedly jumping into you know the bodily autonomy argument that that's an easier argument to make for somebody who doesn't have to suffer the consequence of that, mm, um, because there's an implication for somebody um, who actually has to carry that baby to term there is and i i'm i'm an advocate of of um things like um the father should <laughs> i we using words like father and mother imply a level of personhood that you guys aren't willing to to uh, to grant i want to be fair to your guys's position the male who got the female pregnant I believe that the law should enforce a certain amount of um, 
of responsibility upon that person. I, sh- I don't believe the female should be the one to, to bear all of the responsibility. And I would even admit that within a pro-choice society. I think that if, if, a, if a male and a female, no rape involved, no coercion involved, um, if a male and female decide to uh, engage in sexual activity and a pregnancy, an unwanted pregnancy occurs, I believe that the male should bear some of the financial um, uh, responsibility of terminating the pregnancy as well. Um, I, I would like to see stuff like that because it is unfair, biologically speaking, that the females are the ones that have to bear all of the brunt of this stuff. Yeah, I think, men, that I think men should step up. <laughs> yeah, was that designed by a person or was that just how it happened? Here, there's a philosophy you talked about the like the, the benefit, like the simplicity, the you know, kind of the parsimony of your position. Like it's very simple, it's very straightforward. And I'm not I'm always, arguing that simp- simplicity is the reason I'm right. Right, but it's it just, has an appeal I'm, to I'm it. I'm just saying it's less complicated. Sure. I well. mean, for instance, for instance, when we were <laughs> having you. conversations, when we were having conversations in previous podcasts about, um, um, like, like the existence of God, and and I think I had said something like, um, that yeah, it, it's hard for me because I've got to always uh, balance, um, scientific, um evidence against revelation and that's something you guys don't have to do and you guys are all like oh yeah we got t-shirts that kind of thing uh in this case the i've got the t-shirt and you guys can wear it if you want to the pro-life t-shirt uh my my position is simpler it doesn't mean i'm right but it is simpler in this case you know it's kind of like making a rule like do not steal Mm -hmm. is a simple rule um but once we start making, because you can think of instances where it's, you know, it's ethical to steal. Like it's morally right to lie in some cases. You know, you're hiding Jews from the Nazis, yada, yada, exactly. yada. Exactly. That's the best example. I, I was hoping we would, how how far are we into this uh, podcast? About an oh, hour, about sure. an hour. Yeah. About an hour. Good. Well, I think we just set a record for podcasts in, in, in all the world for the longest we've gone on an abortion topic without bringing up Nazis. <laughs> we did good. We did well, very we're good. two minutes shy of an hour, so oh, we, oh, quite make we it almost the made the hour. Anyway, go ahead. Fifty-eight minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> so the reason I, I bring that up is the reason we know that that rule needs to be accepted is because of this criteria of personhood. Like all of our morals stem back to this sense of experiences and uh, like the way that we choose to prioritize things like you know I'm sorry I gotta ask you define experience um experiences when I'm using the term I'm talking about having a sentient autobiographical consciousness. And I hate to be that guy, but define sentient. Because depending on how you define sentient, my iPhone is more sentient than than a newborn. I think that that no, it's I think that that is perfectly valid. I'm not afraid of biting the bullets on, you know, some types of artificial intelligence. But your iPhone doesn't suffer 
like deal with you know trauma and reoccurring suffering in the way that a baby would when it falls down the stairs. That's a good like question. We, hey Siri, do you ever suffer? Oh man, hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Yeah, we heard you, Siri. You don't have an answer. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> okay. We love you still, though. Please remember us when you take over. Everyone. Take over. <laughs> um, Siri's boyfriend is Skynet. We could already be in the I Matrix. Think that, so. I think there are a lot of relationships between computers and people, but there are many, 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 many differences. And I think that there are a lot of relationships between, like, you know, having a dog and being a person. Like, a dog has a relationship of stories that it mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. And, I th I, like, I think that relationship of stories is extraordinarily—it's the reason, like, I don't think mosquitoes have a relationship of stories. Which is why I, I'm, not, I'm not morally opposed to, you know, gassing them when necessary. I mean, we've considered granting personhood to other apes because um, they have a. The high... state of Ohio has granted personhood to the, the uh, to Lake Erie. See, I don't know if that one qualifies for me. <laughs> yeah, but it's Ohio. I live here, and I can tell you this place is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in Michigan for a little while, but I didn't live long enough to hate Ohio. You just live in Ohio for a week and you'll hate it. <laughs> like, I think that there are still a lot of moral questions involved with, you know, questions about pregnancy and fetuses and infants. But I think that personhood is an extremely important one. And I don't assume that that happens just because there's some degree of stimulus response. I think that moral agency needs a story. I think I, I, you guys poo-pooed this earlier, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and make the argument anyway. I believe there is a certain type of value to potential. Um, I guess it's the old the old time traveler adage: if you could go back to, you know, World War One and uh, and 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 kill Hitler, you know, I say during World War One because I don't want to go back and kill baby, no matter if it's Hitler or not, but. Sure. If you can go back before the Nazis even exist and you could kill Hitler, would you? And and if you answer yes, then you're assuming that the potential is relevant to the person before uh, those events happened. Every aborted fetus has potential, of course, you know, to follow through on my argument completely, it has the potential to be a murderer as well, but every every uh uh, aborted fetus has the potential to be a a lawyer, a mechanic, an artist, a teacher, a father, a mother. Fill in the blank. Well, and, and I get all that. Like, I think that it wouldn't be immoral to abort baby Hitler. But I think that it would be immoral if, like, if let's say that Hitler was in that gray area where, you know, they were developing a, a story of themselves. Then I think that it would be wrong. Well, and there's another. Be, I think you would need. be obligated to, you know, do something else to try to prevent the tragedy. There's another wrinkle that I admit we don't really have time to go into right now, but I think should at least be mentioned, and that is that abortion, is, as a as a as a phenomenon, um, 
affects disproportionately minority communities in this country. It, it, it a higher percentage of abortions are are black than the general population. And a lot of times we'll use rightfully, very rightfully, we will use that same argument uh, to talk about prison reform because the amount of, of prisoner uh, of the, the prison population is way out of whack, disproportionately black and Latino. And that tells us that there's something going on, something wrong, something systematic or systemic that needs to be fixed. I would say that there's probably something similar, different, unique, but something similar going on in uh, with the abortion industry as well. Um, I won't put any hands on that because I think that there are people better qualified to address the, 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 you know, the racial nuances of that specific topic. I think it is a different and still very important topic to be dealt with. Well, and I think I think a big part of it has to do with our willingness to take care of um, of potential mothers with things like, first of all, the churches need to step up, but but with things like, um, oh, I think didn't didn't President Biden uh, suggest like a child tax credit or something or an increased child, child care credit? Yeah, ch- child care credit to to um, no, kind of as a called? as a economic stimulus for for. Um, uh, those who who have children, I think we should have that kind of because um, the worst case is if if it's one thing philosophically speaking for somebody to to say, um, based on my own personal autonomy and what I want to do with my life and and having a child at this point in my life is absolutely not what I want to do. There's a big difference between that and somebody saying I just can't afford this child right now, and that's why they get the abortion. Yeah, we, we, definitely we need different to... motivators. I don't right. think an abortion is wrong in either case, but I think that it is a very good social question to want a society where people don't feel like they need, like they can't raise a family because of economic constraints. I, I, I'm kind of stuck on a point that you made earlier, and maybe I just missed it. Um, or I just talking made it about, poorly. Mm-mm, I I might have just glossed over it. Um, so we're talking about the potential for life and how that should be the point. Um, yeah, let me be c- clear. I, I think potential is part of the profile of okay. why life matters. Not it's, it's certainly not the end of it. So or, like, or even the, the case, main consideration. So in the case of like rape, for instance, um, that potential becomes less of an important um, variable than in the instance where there's not rape? No, not necessarily. There's just another variable, and that is that the uh, the female in this case is clearly a victim. Okay, so, um, but, so because she didn't consent to that happening, right? Uh, yes. What, what about if somebody doesn't consent to... Um, becoming pregnant, like they've taken all the precautions, they've, you know, they're, uh, they're using uh, birth control and protection and, and, you know, X, Y, and Z, and they still get pregnant. And they've not consented to that. I actually, I, I think I would actually consider, I, I would take that into account in an overall moral argument. I would certainly, I w- I'd be willing to grant this much. I think that at least in that case, a pro-lifer should be willing to give credit where credit is due 
where that, that person tried to do their due diligence as opposed to somebody who just has decided that abortion is birth control. So in, in this case, and, and I know, with, I know I'm, I'm, I'm stepping in high weeds on this one. Uh, I've just, I'm not necessarily stating my position in force. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just granting your, your, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the argument you made. Sure, no, and I'm uh, happy to, like, I'm happy to have a space to think. Um, so that's actually a good, that's a good way to think of this podcast. <laughs> People are hearing I'm, us thinking out loud in real time. Right. Oh yeah. And I'm kind of just kind of testing that to see how, how that plays out. Um, so if, if, you know, non-consent is a, is a variable, um, Definitely. that kind of overrides the potential for life and then non-intent is a variable, um, if somebody ever opts and life for of the an, mother, life of the mother is okay, a variable. Right, that's yeah, a big I'll, one. Right, that is like a big like one. if 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 um if Gretchen got pregnant and in the and just for the sake of argument let's say we're just just before viability it's the twenty second week right. and and the doctor comes and says will um if th- there's like a one percent chance that if we do nothing both both mother and child will be fine but honestly right. what's going to happen is you're you're going to lose your child and you're going to lose your wife right. Man, That's, I would I would struggle with that one, but I don't want to lose my wife. Right. Well, I, yeah. I, so, kind of going back to that line of reasoning, um, do you believe that it's possible to revoke consent or just stop giving it at any point? Like, if you're having sex with someone and you decide I'm not okay with this, uh, are you able to revoke that consent? That consent at that point? Yeah. And by the way, bunny trail. Didn't I hear on on MSNBC? Didn't some state suggest a law? That oh, th- that was it once was, consent is granted that it on. can't be rescinded. The, since, that's since kind of misinformation. Oh, was, I'm glad it's misinformation. Yeah, it it's was been an on old the books law for, yeah. that had been on the books for a long time, and they had just fixed it. Right, but they actually had to fix it twice. Like they tried <sighs> to pass a bill to fix that loophole, and then that attempt failed, and so they had to do it again. And it passed which, the second time. Which state like was North that? Carolina, I think. That sounds right. So yeah, no. If uh, if 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 um in a consent situation, if um uh, a a a woman or heck, it could go the other way. If a dude is is sure. uh is yeah. is uh enjoying a night with a woman, and then in the in the midst of of you know their pillow talk includes the woman admitting she really loves Hitler to bring Hitler back. <laughs> I think I think at some point we should say. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to go All home right. and watch Conan. Yeah, I'm out. Um, yeah. So um, next point I want to make is, isn't the mere desire to have an abortion kind of a revoking of that consent to be pregnant? Yeah, that's an interesting argument. That's an interesting argument. I'm not sure I'm willing to grant it, but that is an interesting argument. It's, I mean, it's certainly if, not a lazy if, argument. If you it's, don't want to have a baby at any point you've kind of given up the consent of that fetus to utilize your body for development right um, but let me it, let me add but some we can, spice this is another too. gray area oh, we can go, extend wait, beyond birth go, go ahead jj go ahead. i get some spice you were talking about potential personhood being a value but it has to be weighed against other factors yeah it's one a of variable. the factors i think that we should weigh it against is the fact that in america a legally induced abortion results in a death slightly less than, oh, if I'm looking at this chart right, 
uh, abortion mortality rate per 100,000 legal induced abortions clocks in at like five to six, maybe seven per 100,000. Oh, no, one per 100,000. But the likelihood of dying from carrying a pregnancy to term in America is 24. Oh, no, it's 18 now. It's, okay. But it's, it's continually rising. It is 18 per 100,000. So you're is it 18 continually times, rising? From what yes, point? America, in, America is the only developed nation where the uh, <laughs> pregnancy-related mortality is continuing to rise. For, but from right. one, what point? Because like in the 1800s, women uh, died all the time of childbirth. No. 1987. Since 1987? Yeah, we're the only country. I wonder why that is. Is the argument that it is because our society is generally anti-abortion? Is that the, the idea? No, no, no. I don't. No, this I is would just of that. the people giving birth, yeah. right? Just of this the people giving people birth, giving we have a higher... Birth higher rate of, of the mother dying through that process than other right. countries do. So that oh, means I, you're 18 no, I, times as likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term as you are to abort it. Yeah, that's, you, that is, that is technically true, but it's also misleading. It, that's like that. Still, that's small still percentage. 18 of a hundred thousand. Yeah. But I mean, at what point in your autonomy do you get to play the odds? True. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, 99.999% of aborted fetuses don't grow up. So, I mean, it's it's their my, my position would include their bodily autonomy as well. I mean, how many of those people could have become concert cellists or plumbers? Who cares? You know, just how how many potential uh stories and experiences and lives didn't happen? Yeah, but you already agreed that that potential is not actual. I've agreed that it's a variable and not not the whole story. And I was just kind of testing it to see how far that how sure. how much weight that variable carries. Like and and now we're just kind of mix like testing different <laughs> variables against one <laughs> another. Right. <laughs> my my wife says is everything okay? I heard you raise your voice. <laughs> <laughs> You should tell her that these heathens, That's these right. heathens. Um, <laughs> no, I, it's been a really good talk. Yeah, it yeah. has, and, and I, I would like, if if I say this is my last thing, but I already know it's not going to be the last thing I say. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll putter to the end like we always do. I'm I'm a big advocate of adoption. I think that those of us who are pro life need to put our money where our mouth is, especially yeah. if we're males, because it's so easy for me as a pro life male to just throw out these philosophical arguments when I don't have to. I I, I don't have to suffer the consequences of any of this. And I assume but you're I would, hyper I would pro like birth to, control. Say what? I assume you're hyper pro birth control. Yes. I mean, I, I might have some questions about certain types of birth control. Um, if, if, wait, uh, I, isn't there certain kinds? kinds of birth control that, cr- that create health problems for females? I'm not, I'm not an expert. I mean, I'm every sure kind of, yeah. Every kind of medication presents some potential. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- those, I would take those considerations, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not Catholic. I'm, I'm, I'm pro birth <laughs> control. And pro sex ed and all of the, like you're pro not even having an unwanted pregnancy to have to pose this question oh, to I'm, in the first place. Right. And I I'm pro sex ed as well. I'm not I'm not hyper 
Puritan to use the incorrect use of the term Puritan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, I think a, a proper level of sexual education, I wouldn't want a sixth grader to receive pornograph pornography in, in school, but I think a, a sixth or seventh grade, when does sex ed happen? About sixth, seventh grade. Um, I think, I think have a, 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 a healthy, in some places, a good it? scientific, um, uh, education on these things is, is good and healthy. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, the, and and I think parents should be giving their own. Uh, if if parents are too worried about it, they should be offering their side of the equation as well. They, you know, instead of just letting schools, I say I think a lot of parents don't want their schools to do anything controversial, but they also want their schools to handle everything that is controversial. I don't think that that should be controversial. Um, I mean, I, the oh, the, I, I, I bet it is, and and, uh, and we like we the both abstinence. Know it is abstinence only sex ed has had very clear outcomes. Um, so, and, I mean, you can have different opinions about that, but the facts still kind of remain. I yes. would, I would, I haven't done the the studies. I would, I would, I'm not an expert in the field. I would like abstinence to be thrown out as an option that it's, it's not just well, nerds in nineties teen movies that, um, that, that choose it. That, I mean, uh, it's kind kind of an obvious one. If you don't have sex at all, given this process, you can't mm-hmm. get pregnant. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it's, so, that's so kind I, of a clear I, I, one. The, the advantages of abstinence I would like to see as part of sex ed, but no, I I don't think abstinence only sex ed is necessary because you're going to end up with unwanted pregnancies, which is going to lead to uh, at least some abortions. And I would like to see fewer abortions. So yeah, I'm pro right. sex ed. Cool. You are on the same page on that one then. Yeah. We need someone to argue with that's further right of you. <laughs> oh, there, there are, there are very many. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, you're you're easier to talk to because you're, yeah. you're more thought out and considerate. And well, and and I try. It can be fun and, to roll around in the mud, though. So I'm willing to do it. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna admit I've grown more moderate, and in some cases just a tiny bit liberal, uh, since a certain fella descended a golden escalator. <laughs> I just, I've, I've just, I've been reevaluating everything. And in cer- certain cases like pro-life, I'm still pro-life on certain areas. I've just, I feel like the conservative position is my position on other well, areas on environmentalism. For instance, I think Republicans drop the ball consistently and on purpose. You're, you've also kind of said that you're pro-life with exceptions though, right? Like I would say you know. pro-life with considerations. I want to, all those variables we've talked I mean, about, it's not you, simple. It's not, can, I, even though I tried to say my position simple, it's not simple. It's I, never I mean, simple. The the position can also be like more of a philosophical one as well as a legal one. And I think I take more issue with like, you can be pro-life and also be pro-choice. Um, just because. I think that's can, a good way of defining President Biden right now. Right. You can be you I, know, I an advocate he, for you can be an advocate for your position while at the same time legally not wanting to impose because there can be exceptions to that rule. And you should let, you know, maybe doctors and scientists and, you know, individuals make that decision rather than, I, you know, a, I would bet that most people fall into that camp rather than my camp. Right. I definitely uh, yeah, think I that I'm the so. outlier. I, I would say that it's not it the, the moderate position t- tends to be and I'm a moderate on a lot of issues. The moderate, uh, like gun rights, I always like to joke that if I ever ran for Congress, the, my my highest ambition would be, would be to get a C rating from the NRA. 
Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the moderate position often is not one that uh, you hear a lot on on TV or on on podcasts because it's just not very inflammatory to say you know I think we all have a good point here. The yeah. um, so so the extremes tend to get a lot more play, but moderate positions tend to tend to describe the majority of Americans. And I think JJ's onto yeah. something here. I think most Americans would say, I personally find abortion to be bad. And then there's a, a, a string of, 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 of uh, words that you could use in repugnant or even just <laughs> mildly, mildly, uh, prefer uh, to avoid it. Nah, n- yeah. non-preferable. There's a good, uh, yeah. but, but I don't want there to be a law. I don't want the laws change. I'm going to admit, right. I would like to see options legally. Yeah. So this right. is different from my position on gay marriage. My position on gay marriage is actually pretty, pretty set in stone libertarian. I don't want to see the government uh, um, um, imposing my personal morality on any, on, on that issue. Right. Uh, When it comes to abortion, since I believe there's a life at stake, I would like to see options. I'm not saying total uh, abolition. I don't think that's workable. Right. But I'd like to see options. Yes. And I think that you you basically, if you're voting based on that standard, you just parted ways with the bulk of conservatives because I think that's what a lot of people. Well, are I'm not a Republican, so I'm used to parting ways with <laughs> the bulk of conservatives. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to uh, kind of leave it. This, uh, what do you what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm not too I bad. Mean, actually, on this, do you got any the, final the, thoughts? Uh, I think this is uh, every podcast I've been on. I feel like we've left. 20 to 50 loose ends that could be their, their own podcasts on this one. I would, I would have liked to have had more time to develop a positive case for pro-life, but I knew going in that, that I, I wasn't the star of this podcast and I'm totally cool with that. Um, th- this was JJ's position we were evaluating. So I, be- I believe that I have a, uh, uh, I still have room to develop a more nuanced positive position for, uh, for pro-life. That being said, I think I think uh, you guys did well tonight, and and I hope I didn't offend anybody, and and I think that's that's my final thought. Um, yeah, I feel like even though it's like this was my, you know, my issue that I brought up that we were you know, analyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I still didn't unpack it as satisfactorily as I would like. We never do. So, are we going to hour two then? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you keep bringing up Patreon material, and we never yeah, do Patreon material. I know. It's just not really I, – I, I don't know. It just never works out that way. You you can take some of my sermons off Facebook and put them on Patreon, and no one will listen to them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> don't have a lot of Patreon subscribers. That's okay. We don't have a lot of listeners, right? No one's listening to the show. It's just us. Yeah, we need to – like I was hoping to drill down more on the idea of like what makes a person a person and why that's different than just something that's having immediate experiences. Cause I think everything has immediate experiences. I mean, just, I, I've about gotten too committed to panpsychism at this point and I need to stop. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm trying to respect your guys' time. So I yeah. don't care. And I don't care about the listener. They, they can listen or not. That's up to you guys. I care about the listener. Listener, don't hang up. 
Don't go. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I think I think we, we're we're at a, we're at a pretty good place. I think to to wind it down. Okay. Um, All right. The yep. we, we can bring this topic uh, up up again another time. Um, abortion is one of those issues where it's never resolved. It, yeah, we're not going to resolve it, and we don't really have any authority to resolve it. I tell you what. If we ever do um, approach this, I would very much like to have female voices. I think that there's a lot, like the only part of this topic that I wanted to touch was on, you know, the philosophical implications of personhood. Because I think that there are a host, a host of concerns that you know, females, you know, women, pregnant people have to deal with that are morally pertinent to them that I cannot, that I don't have experiences of. Right. And even, even if you were to make a personhood argument for a developing fetus, that doesn't really touch on the bodily autonomy argument. Those are two separate arguments. Um, one of which I think that one does definitely directly affect women. So, um, I, I kind of feel like that's why everybody makes that argument because it's, that, that that one's the more uh, consistent, Palpable. easier, concise one. Yeah. All right. Well. And 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 separately, you know, like as you you brought up the the rate of abortion in minorities, and I think it would be good to have a minority voice talking yeah. about their experiences and why they have, why we why they what their experiences are with that disparity. Right. We can kind of get into the history of that too. Yeah, all all good stuff. I don't really have any final thoughts. I think I got everything out that I wanted to say. In other news, I've lost 55 pounds. Yay! Hey, congrats. Yay. It's a keto life, bros. Keto life. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Keto. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I could stand to gain some of that weight if you want to send it my way. Um, for anybody out there who would like to join, you can go to analyzepodcast.com and click on the Become a Guest, where you can fill out the form and we will be in touch. Um, if you want to just complain, then uh, I, mean, I guess you can do that too. Uh, you can just email us. That might be easier. Uh, at JJ at analyzepodcast.com. That's where you send the complaints to. Um, otherwise... Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Peace out.